Episode 7, Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Hey all you gals and guys, Grayson Parker Marcotte of the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I have been living up to my namesake here, and for that I do apologize. Things have been a bit foggy and out of order, but we're back on a level, and this is a brand new Star Wars episode for y'all, wherein we will be talking Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Circumstances are such that I'm without a co-pilot this go-around, but I'll do my best to keep her smooth and steady, and something resembling fun. Y'all go ahead and get comfy, because we are about to begin. Ah yes, Star Wars, that old chestnut. In many ways, it's somewhat baffling to me that I'm sitting here taking the time to talk about the first installment of the post-Lucas era Star Wars trilogy. The third and final film has come and gone, and I've since recorded actually the last show, um, or I should say the show for The Last Jedi, and that will be coming out very shortly. In essence, the die is cast, and we we will forever be in a post-sequel trilogy fandom. For a lot of us, I think that there's much to be celebrated in that, though unfortunately there are a lot of us who will forever be let down and disappointed by that. There's already the release the Abrams cut deal going around since the popularity, I think, of Zack Snyder's uh, Snyder cut or what, what what the fuck ever Justice League business that that is. Um you know what? I shouldn't have even mentioned that. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. There's a lot to unpack here, I think, and it's more than just a fickle fandom, but either way, it, it's kind of irrelevant because today we're going to be talking about Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and what it means to me, a Star Wars fan. Also, we've got voicemails from Mr. Luke Summerfield and Curtis Smith, as well as a message from my friend Rob Mercer. All of those guys are longtime friends of the Sleeping Giant podcast, and I am very much looking forward to hearing what they have to say, and I have no doubt that this will be an incredibly fun episode. So I recall exactly where I was and what I was doing when I first realized that Star Wars episodes 7, 8, and 9 were inevitable. I was rounding the corner, I believe. I was on a jog training at... Well, at this point, I believe um, the marathon, or half marathon, I should say, I was training for it, come and gone, and I was simply jogging with a friend, and we were rounding the corner of College Station and Barnett Shoals, I believe, in Athens, Georgia, right there by the Shell gas station and the Kroger, and uh, so I was on on a run with one of my, my dear friends, Nick, and he had either informed me of, or we began discussing one way or another, um, inevitably, as we always do, things of a sci-fi nature. And we touched on Star Wars and the $4 billion cash sale, I think. Um, I think that was half of the stipulation George Lucas had made in the sale of Star Wars to Disney. And 
we, we began talking about that and how the possibilities seemed somewhat endless. Well, maybe not endless, but there seemed to be suddenly so many more possibilities surrounding Star Wars. And, uh, of course, the, the existence or the inevitability of episodes 7, 8, and 9 were brought into discussion. So it was... It was exhilarating and also a bit frightening, but and just to give you an idea of my my short-sightedness, I had thought at the time that that would of course mean a uh, Blu-ray edition, you know, a high-def redux of the original Star Wars trilogy, minus all of the uh, unnecessary embellishments that were made in the re-releases in 1997, and I thought we were finally going to get an uncut uh, original trilogy on Blu-ray. And truth be told, that's all I have ever wanted from future Star Wars releases. If you had, at the time, asked me if I could have one or the other Star Wars episodes 7, 8, and 9, or a blu-ray edition of the original trilogy uncut with all without excuse me all of the cgi and whatnot i think i probably would have chosen the original trilogy on blu-ray uh you know don't hold me to that but i i am 90 percent certain that that is the decision that i would have made but um you know so we started having this conversation and and as we got deeper into it um we started talking about new Star Wars and the shadow of the prequels for me still uh, still loomed over the thought of any new Star Wars films. But I was convinced uh, that if they were to go forward with new movies, that that, that would not happen again, um, because it seemed pretty clear to me that with the sale of Star Wars to Disney, George Lucas would probably have very little to do with the direction of the films. And that, I think, would, you know, it would be a good thing for future Star Wars movies. Um, You know, and I'm not going to get into the prequels and my attitude towards them, but, you know, I do want you all to keep in mind that it was not necessarily the story or the characters of the prequels that I thought were terrible. It was the direction that these very competent actors involved in the film received. So that was really my beef. And and taking George Lucas out of the equation in that regard seemed like, uh, like it would make for fairly decent films. So, uh, you know, um, would Disney duplicate what I perceive to be a monumental pooch screwing? No, I I didn't think so. Uh, one thing you can say of, of pretty much any Star Wars fan, though, is that regardless of how we may feel or how we may have felt about any film or release, uh, the machines who produced them or uh, or the people involved, be they the maker or the mouse, those things were all irrelevant uh, or would be irrelevant because no matter what, our asses would still be firmly set in cinema seats and our dollar papers would be scattering in the incessant and obsessive winds of fandom. So no matter what, we're always going to watch these movies. We're always going to see these films and there will never be uh, any shortage of fans uh, clamoring to, to pay for them. So uh 
So yeah, flash forward what? A year and a half later, I think. Um, I was still living in Athens at the time. And yeah, I think I was sitting on my couch and at the time I watched the trailer on my phone, which uh, I was still new to having a smartphone at that time. So being able to watch such a high quality trailer was just wow, mind mind boggling. And the fact that it was a new Star Wars film uh, was, was really quite something to me. And I remember being pretty taken by that trailer and being pretty excited about it. Honestly, I mean, it, it felt so Star Warsy, and yet there was so much mystery there, and my curiosity was really piqued. Um, you know, of course, I started nitpicking like after the excitement wore off, and I did that whole fanboy thing of, you know, questioning the new stuff that we saw and asking if it was necessary, and you know, just kind of all that bullshit that makes things less fun, and yet, you know, we as fans insist on doing it for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know, um, but. After seeing that trailer and seeing the Millennium Falcon uh, loop around and barrel roll mid-flight, oh man, oh god, I was excited. And it was truly one of the longest waits of my life, uh, seeing that trailer and then, and then waiting for the film. But luckily, I had some very meaningful and important life events to occupy me. Um, not only did my wife and I celebrate the birth of our one and only child, uh, but we also gave up on the jobs that we had currently and the secure familiarity of Georgia to move to Florida. Um, so being away from friends and family was, it was awkward. It was awkward to see uh, a brand new Star Wars film without my core nerd group or my family. And um, so that, that was strange, but it in no way diminished my excitement. One of the great things about a new Star Wars film is the shared experience of seeing it in a packed house and seeing that film at the cinema with a full house of people that you know are there because they want to be because they're so excited about this movie and they can't wait until later to see it. They have to be there at the midnight release or uh, the first showing of of the release date. So all of those people, you know, are just as excited or more excited than you to be there. And that helped, I think, not having uh, everyone that I necessarily wanted to be there to see this movie with me at, at the same time. But, you know, I was with my wife and we were in this, you know, this new place and we were surrounded by fans. And, uh, I think that was enough. I mean, you can't really be bummed out when you're watching a brand new Star Wars film for the first time. So I remember being so exhilarated through the whole picture and I was enamored by the the introduction of new characters and how they occupied the foreground while my heroes of the OG Star Wars played second to them and it was very clear that this this new story whatever it was going to be would belong to them and the proverbial torch would be passed and all that turned out to be fine by me um the story I, th I think it was wonderful. As a, as a first installment, I found the story questions intriguing and the characters functionally likable or despicable, depending on which galactic faction 
they belonged to. I wanted to know if Ray would ever find her parents and whether or not Finn would find his place in the galaxy. And more importantly, I wanted to know if we'd get that Finn and Poe buddy cop movie that was, it was practically screaming to be made. And uh, so, you know, that was a thought. Out of all the questions, though, I, I needed to know how the son of Han Solo and Leia Organa could commit fratricide and, uh, or excuse me, patricide and take one of one of our beloved characters off the board altogether. Um, what was this young man's story? And was there any coming back from that? Would Luke take the lightsaber from Ray's pleading hand and help her against uh, a new struggle against uh, a galactic foe against Kylo Ren and and would he help her find who she really is the uh, the closing shot of the Force Awakens and the performance of the actors and the direction of Abrams and with the aid of the irreplaceable John Williams, all of my excitement and curiosity, all of my sadness and my sense of loss, all of the things that I felt and wondered were encapsulated in that final shot. There are a few reasons why The Force Awakens is my favorite of the sequel films, and that shot is at the top of that list of of favorite things, I think. So... Now that we kind of have, uh, we've established a, a launching point for a discussion of this film, I think it would be a good time to get into some of those messages and voicemails and, and start unpacking those and see what develops. All right, this message comes from Robert Mercer. Uh, Robert is a longtime supporter and friend of the show, and he's just a genuinely good fellow. Very supportive of artists in the Star Wars card collecting community and the uh, the artists that contribute their work to those sets. Rob is a big supporter of theirs, and that's always such a cool thing. So Rob sent this message, and uh, it reads as follows. I really like The Force Awakens. Many people have said the story was derivative of A New Hope, but that is what I really like about it. It has a history-repeats-itself kind of vibe that sort of taps into the cyclical nature of the Force. I loved the way old characters were interwoven with the new ones, giving the story a sense of continuity, making it very emotional seeing some of those characters again. I will say, the most emotional part for me was when Rey and Finn are trying to escape Jakku. As they are running, the ship they are headed for gets blown up and Rey says, The garbage will do, and they pan over and it is the Millennium Falcon. I had been avoiding spoilers and previews, and so wasn't expecting it at the time, and I got a little teary-eyed seeing it on the big screen for the first time after so many years. I still get a lump in my throat to this day when I watch that scene. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Rob. I actually, the hair on my arm stood on end as I was reading that last part, uh, and that's one of the things that I loved about The Force Awakens, too, is it it really did awaken some of those old feelings of of really uh, just having your mind blown and, and being so in love with 
the characters and the setting uh, settings, I should say, that we receive in some of these movies. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really awesome seeing the Falcon again, and uh, you know, watching the two of those characters, Ray and Finn, on the Falcon, and then Ray piloting the ship with Finn in the gunner seat. I thought to myself, isn't it so cool that Finn is sitting in that seat that either Han or Luke was in? I'm not sure. There may be some some trivia there that, that gives it away in the film, and I'm just not familiar with it. But how cool is it that Finn is sitting in that seat that Luke Skywalker or Han Solo sat in and, uh, and aided in the escape from the Death Star? So that was really cool. And uh, and yeah, absolutely. I think, too, that people get a little carried away when they say that um, The Force Awakens is just uh, like a reboot of A New Hope. I couldn't disagree with that more strongly than, uh, than to say that's just not accurate. It's not right. Um, it sings of... A New Hope, certainly, but it is not a reboot or retelling of that film. Uh, it follows a similar story structure. Uh, you have uh, elements of the hero's journey that uh, that you get throughout that film, which you you basically got the hero's journey uh, with Episode Four, A New Hope, or Star Wars, uh, in its most raw skeletal form, I think. So there's some overlap there, and, and there are some familiar instances, sure, creatures in the cantina uh, echoing Maz's castle, or rather, uh, Maz's castle echoing that cantina. Um, the desert planet, obviously, there's a callback to Tatooine. You know, there there are many things that that are similar to A New Hope, but not a direct retelling. And I, I think we're going to touch on some of that in a little while here. I do have some examples in my notes um, that I'd like to touch on, but uh, but again, thank you, Rob, for sending in that message. I really do appreciate it, and uh, that was it was really nice to read that, so thank you. Okay, this voicemail is from Mr. Curtis Smith, otherwise known as the wordsmith extraordinaire uh, behind Star Wars Poetry. Uh, he has been on the show previously. I don't know if you recall uh, having listened to Curtis when he was on the Sleeping Giant podcast, but he's a fun guy, and he's got a lot of really interesting insight when it comes to Star Wars, obviously, uh, being the Star Wars poet that he is. Let's see what Curtis had to say about The Force Awakens. This is Curtis Smith at Star Wars Poetry on TikTok and Instagram, and I wanted to try to give my thoughts about The Force Awakens without re-watching it first. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, and I didn't want to get bogged down in the details, but instead try and approach it big picture. Leading into it, I remember the excitement for the new trilogy, for having the big three back on the screen, for what might be I don't know how many podcasts were launched in this period leading up to the movie, but an awful lot of Star Wars-specific ones, as I recall. 
Afterwards, I remember a feeling of anticipation for all the places the story could go. I think they nailed the casting and the chemistry between the three main characters, Ray and uh, Finn and uh, Poe, I thought was really good. It uh, had humor, it had emotional highs and lows, and most importantly, it brought us thousands of new details about the galaxy that we love. Special effects, tiny things that were only on the screen for a few seconds, and massive new to creatures and uh, structures and ships and trooper types. Uh, there was so much more Star Wars there than uh, what we had before the movie came out. The only real knock on it that I heard from fans afterwards was that it borrowed so heavily from A New Hope, to which I would say, absolutely. And? That didn't negatively impact my enjoyment of the movie or my relish over what might come next. Curtis, those were all very excellent points, and uh, thank you for that submission. I find it interesting and somewhat telling that we all seem to feel, oh, I shouldn't say all of us, but uh, the small sampling of, of individual Star Wars fans seem to feel that, yes, there was a claim that the force awakens was too reminiscent of a new hope and i really like your response curtis and <laughs> you know um sort of like rob was saying it it takes us back to the beginning you know as we begin this new trilogy we're sort of visually at times and emotionally at times taken back to that first film one of the things that always jumped out at me, especially the first time that I watched The Force Awakens, was the Night Watcher worm that sticks its head out, or not really its head so much as its eye stalk, out of the sand in Jakku as Ray and BB-8 are uh, walking and or trundling away um, after Ray rescues BB-8 from the Tito. Uh, that was, that just, it screamed Star Wars at me much in the way that the, uh, the wart creature, the frog in front of Jabba's palace shot its tongue out and captured the creature, uh, on Tatooine and, uh, and consumed it and belched right before we moved back to the interior of Jabba's palace. So it was, uh, you know, that obviously was not reminiscent of A New Hope, but it, was very reminiscent of the original trilogy to me. Uh, Curtis, you had mentioned the chemistry between the actors and and the new big three, Ray, Finn, and Poe. All amazing. They, they worked so very well together. Uh, again, my excitement for Poe and Finn, hoping to see the, uh, the buddy cop movie, or, or at least more of a focus on Finn and Poe in the future. Uh, and then, of course, the way that the new characters interacted with our original characters, or our legacy characters, uh, Han Solo in particular, there was a real connection there, uh, especially between Rey and Han. And that was one of the things that I really appreciated about The Force Awakens. And that budding relationship between the two of them, there seemed to be something there and that was a question that I really hoped to have gotten an answer for by the end of the film. Of course, that was setting expectations 
And, uh, you know, we've since learned that that's, that's not a good thing to do, but it was very interesting to me. And I thought that the way they interacted with one another was extremely cool. And yeah, the, uh, the creatures, the, uh, the effects that we saw, um, the thing that comes to mind specifically is in the beginning of the film where Poe takes a shot at Kylo Ren and, you know, the, uh, the famous scene or image that we saw in a lot of promo material and in the trailers and whatnot is when Kylo whips around and stops the bolt mid air. So that was the first time we had ever seen that use of the force or that force power. And, uh, that's one of the cool things about Star Wars is the, the force, uh, the powers and, and some of the things that Force-sensitive Jedi or Sith or non-Sith, as it were, are able to do, those things are revealed to us in, uh, in sometimes a very spectacular manner. So that was highly effective, and I thought that it was great the way that uh, Oscar Isaac's Poe reacted to that, because thinking about it in terms of a being in the world and, and being someone like Poe, uh, all those things are still legendary um, or, or mythic, as it were. And uh, so it was really cool to see his reaction to that and, and to really kind of know and understand that he was now involved in something much, much bigger than, uh, you know, his hotshot flyboy uh, career as it were <laughs> everything that he had, had experienced and uh and done you know throughout his life as uh or what we now know as a smuggler and uh and then um his his work and his fight with the resistance so that was really cool to see and and of course all the troopers all the different armor all the different weaponry all the different tech very cool to see so uh, Curtis, thank you so much for sending that in. And and you guys be sure to give Curtis a follow uh, on Instagram, Star Wars Poetry. And I believe that he said uh, he has a TikTok account now as well. So y'all definitely check that out. Curtis is a cool guy and, uh, and his poems are really cool. I enjoy them. I have a couple of favorites. Um, if you listen to our other episode where Curtis is, is a guest, um, you'll note that I am a pretty big fan of haiku and, and his Star Wars haikus in particular. So y'all go check those out. All right, this final voicemail comes all the way from Wales from my dear friend, Mr. Luke Summerfield. Luke was kind enough to send a last-minute message detailing some of his thoughts about The Force Awakens. And if you recognize this voice, it is the very same one that read that opening crawl for us at the beginning of the show. So thank you for doing that, sir. It is greatly appreciated. Let's go ahead and see what Luke had to say. An amazing way to kickstart the Disney era. From the moments we see Poe, Ray, and Finn, we are hooked. How incredible is it that we are drawn in by the characters straight away? The cinematography is fantastic, bending our minds straight back into the galaxy far, far away. It's a film about friends, family, and doing the right thing. How about that fantastic lightsaber duel? Let's not forget Ray's reaction to Kylo as he removes his mask. This film is such a feel-good adventure. Chewie, we are definitely home. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. That is so incredibly cool. Thank you for sending that in, Luke. With this movie, we were definitely home. I loved that scene 
of Han and Chewie rounding the uh, boarding ramp of the Millennium Falcon. That was so fucking cool. And it's so meta, too. You know, that line, Chewie, we're home. God, so amazing. It just, it, it really struck me. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. The the characters just they they grab you, and they bring you right in to the movie. And uh, what what a fantastic way to start the trilogy. I completely agree with you on that point. Uh, Ray and Kylo that meeting that was particularly cool. I did enjoy that tremendously. And uh, a fun fact, fun fact. I think uh, I read this in an interview. It may have been with J.J. Abrams. Uh, you'll all have to forgive me. I can't remember the exact source, but I, I remember thinking um, when I watched that scene and Kylo places his helmet down in that uh, what looks kind of like a big ashtray. Initially, I thought that maybe they had been Darth Vader's ashes, but then I was like, no, that's that's a little weird. I don't think that he would be so um so careless with his equipment and and just kind of not really have any regard for it turns out according to this interview that it is a container of the ashes of kylo ren's slain enemies how fucking badass is that so so yeah that adds a tremendous depth to his character that i wish we uh could have explored a little bit maybe or at least um, you know, that lore would have been a little bit more present in the films because you got this character who uh, is very clearly trying really hard to fill really big shoes um, and trying to emulate his grandfather, Darth Vader. Not Anakin Skywalker, which is a very important distinction to make, but Darth Vader. And it's a very strange juxtaposition of ideals when you consider this young guy who is trying to make this thing happen for himself and trying to project the certain image, but you know that there's a vulnerability about him and, and he's not quite certain. But then you juxtapose that with such a horrifying thought or a horrifying uh, object of his aggression and rage and his conquests it's it's a really strange comparison to make and i find that's really fascinating uh as far as ray's reaction to him i think that it's really cool because i always took it to mean that when her force i, I think that the name the force awakens it has a few different meanings but i think that one of them is the awakening of the force in Ray. And I think that it is likely that moment, that meeting with Kylo where that awakening really starts to take place. And it's, it's interesting to think that out of all of the things that this young lady has been through, uh, the bravery that she displays, um, when facing Kylo and, and, and having that force, sensitive awakening or that awakening of her force power it, it's interesting because i think that also bolsters her courage and her strength and i i always felt like the thing that happened between them there was that she was able to sort of reverse engineer the use of the force 
from her interaction with Kylo. I'm really curious if anybody else feels that way. So yeah, send me an email at sgcardsandtoys at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at sgcardsandtoys. Send me your thoughts. Send me a message. Let me know what you think. Hell, send me a voicemail. We'll play it in the next show. I'm, I'm really curious what other people think about that scene because I feel that it was very meaningful and I just want to know if if the way that I feel about it is similar to the way a lot of you feel. So definitely hit me up on that. Luke, thanks so much for sending that, man. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All that said, I, I think it's an outstanding film. Um, some of the things that stand out to me when I think about having watched it for the first time, it is... Uh, I remember the excitement of seeing the Star Destroyers from the First Order from an angle that was a bit off-kilter or a little unusual. I thought that was really cool. And I remember the richness of the color being something that stood out to me, particularly when we saw the dropship holding the First Order Stormtroopers, those the sorts of the, the blues and, and the kind of teals I was a real sucker for that. Uh, stormtroopers are awesome because their armor is always so reflective of whatever environment they're in. And, and I think that they tend to, uh, I think they're represented on screen in a really cool way a lot of times. And, and I think JJ Abrams has uh, a strong eye for that sort of thing in general. So that was really cool. Um, thinking in terms of, of the story and, and thinking in terms of of what I saw on screen, it was a a very cut and dry case, I think, of give it to me the same but different, baby. The same but different. And and I think that a lot of the people that criticized this film for being a retelling of A New Hope kind of missed some of the more nuanced aspects um and and i also kind of think that a lot of the people that said that particularly the ones that mentioned it to me whenever i would speak to them i think it was an echoed opinion honestly i i don't know many people that when you speak to them and you really get into a discussion about the force awakens i don't think that very many people are going to be very quick to say oh it was just like a new hope. It was just like Star Wars from '77. I, I think that if you if you look at the film as a whole and you think about the story beats and the characters involved critically, uh, you don't even really have to look at it critically. You just have to to actually compare the two films side by side, and you'll see very easily that it is the same, but it's also very different, which is, in my opinion, a tough thing to accomplish. I think it would have been very easy to just copy. A New Hope, but that's not what it, what happened at all. I mean, some of the story beats were similar, yes, but again, all very different. Um, by way of instance, the way that the film starts with the stormtroopers uh, lowering themselves onto Jakku, it is reminiscent of the Star Destroyer enveloping the uh, Corellian Corvette that uh, that we saw in. Star Wars from 77, the stormtroopers breaking down the uh, 
the the entrance to the ship um you know and then darth vader kind of strolling in that was very similar in in pursuit of stolen rebel plans and and in the case of the force awakens we have a piece of a map that will presumably lead someone to luke skywalker so they're similar but they're not the same not remotely um and then of course you you had leia being apprehended in this case, you have Poe being apprehended. So really, it, it's far more of a, a sort of harmonious um, stanza, if you will, to use George Lucas's um, analogy of, of poetry and the way that he envisioned these films progressing. Uh, that That's what it appears to me. The same, but different, baby. Uh and then, of course, we have the maroon droid, which is similar to R2 and 3PO being marooned on Tatooine. Um, Poe is <laughs> extremely charismatic, which is something that we didn't really get right off the bat with A New Hope. There was some levity there that really kind of broke up the tension of the scene. And let me just say right now that I never get tired of listening to the modulation on Adam Driver's voice in the Kylo Ren helmet. That, to me, is some of the most impressive sound design, and it's it's just a voice. I don't know. There's just something about it. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Mr. Freeze from Heart of Ice in uh, the first season of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, that, again, was a vocal effect that I really, really appreciated and always stuck with me throughout my life. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, it, it, is, it is very similar, but it is not in any way the same. So then, of course, we have Kylo Ren, an aspect of that character being the son of Leia and Han. Very difficult to find that analogy or that analog in A New Hope, that is certainly an aspect of the story that is uh, explicitly different, in my opinion. And uh, and then, of course, we have the focus on the character of Rey, uh, whose introduction in that film was, again, astounding. I love the Jakku aesthetic. I love the scavenger attire and the way that they sort of brought in old-school character elements into the costume was, was very fascinating to me, uh, particularly the Stormtrooper helmet lenses that she used in her headgear. I thought that that was really cool. Um, so, it uh, again, it, it does diverge quite a bit from A New Hope in, in many fascinating ways. Um, I just think to myself, Han talking to Leia when they first encounter one another after some obvious passage of time. Uh, you know, it, so many things to love and appreciate about this movie and, and its differences, of course, from the first installment of Star Wars. I mean, I will give it to you that the Starkiller base is, that is derivative to a degree i think that if if we can allow one bit of criticism um to to go recognized and and to be appreciated yeah i'll i'll give them that um but it did not take away from the cool factor and in my opinion in any way um 
especially since there was actually a, uh, a physical ground battle between uh, opponents on Starkiller Base, which I thought was really cool, between, uh, of course, Finn, Rey, and Kylo Ren, which that scene in the snow was just absolutely mind-boggling to me. I absolutely loved that. So at this point, I think we can't really... We can't really go without speaking about the characters of The Force Awakens, so I would like to touch on the characters just a little bit more than I already have. Poe Dameron, of course, is one of the first new characters, if not the first new character, that we're introduced to alongside Max von Sydow's Lore Santeca. So Poe is he's cocksure right off the bat. We get that. Uh, adventurous with the spirit of rebellion, the best pilot in the resistance, even as Kylo Ren will later say. Uh, so, by the way, um, considering the two of them, Poe and Lor Santeca, that's actually how we're introduced to Kylo Ren. But uh, we'll talk about him in a moment. So, so Poe is one of our point of view characters that we get in in the beginning of the film and and uh interestingly enough he he does go uh without screen time for a considerable amount of time but not to the film's detriment uh additionally we receive phasma in this same scene by way of uh extension and of course uh finn or fn2187 so some of our or i should say three of our principal characters are all introduced in the first scene and we also get a little bit of Finn's character before he even removes the helmet you can see that this particular trooper is possessed of, of an empathy and, and a compassion and uh, what could possibly be a more clearly defined moral compass I would say that uh, that establishing those characters in the opening scene did far more good uh, than beginning a, a sequel trilogy, particularly the first film in a sequel trilogy with with the legacy characters, uh, Han, Leia, Luke, and uh, the droids, of course. So I do want to talk about Rey, obviously. We're not going to have a podcast episode about The Force Awakens without talking about Rey. I think that Rey is a fantastic character, and I never understood the dubious attitudes towards her. Well, I guess I could understand, but I don't necessarily like the point of view that some of those opinions are coming from, and I do not value them. Um, I think that she was a gem in what's already a treasure of a film. The way that Daisy Ridley portrayed her, there is this vulnerability in her and a loneliness, but but those things have been sort of tempered and uh and they've tempered her strength and her resolve and uh she she exudes also a youthful joy but always seems to keep her potential for happiness in check which is a weird sort of dichotomy where you have have this character with this this vulnerability, but also this strength. I, I really, really like the way that Finn and Ray interact when those two characters are introduced to one another. Finn is always trying to grab her hand, and she's just like not 
having it because she is clearly able to take care of herself and she's never had or needed anyone to take care of her or treat her in uh, or treat her as a damsel when she is distressed there's just mm -mm, it, it's not happening so the way that the story moves forward with ray as the force sensitive protagonist is satisfying to me and i appreciate that she was able to as i mentioned earlier sort of reverse engineer kylo's force powers um, there's not a complaint from me here on that point i really like the way that that is representative of an awakening and I, I think that it's really cool how that ties into what Snoke was saying when he asked Kylo if he had felt an awakening. Speaking of Snoke, did anybody else think that that motherfucker was giant when you first saw him? I mean, looking back, it's so obvious that that was a projection. They being Kylo and Hux were were having this meeting with him and it just seems obvious that that would have been the case but you know what sometimes I'm just not very quick on the uptake and I thought that he was just huge which immediately I started thinking about all these things that or, or scenarios wherein Snoke would be interacting with other characters in later films, possibly even towards the end of this one, and you would have this giant son of a bitch versus, you know, someone of, of normal size, uh, a standard-sized humanoid, if you will. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, the way that Hux was introduced was also fascinating to me. We immediately, through the interactions of Kylo Ren and Hux, see that Hux views himself as having a very important position within the hierarchy of the First Order, though Kylo Ren clearly sees him as being divorced from his own position, and Ren, of course, feels vastly superior to Hux in, in every way. Um, so you get all of that through action and dialogue, without that whole scenario being spelled out for you, which I, I really appreciate. Um, so it's interesting in that we kind of learn a little bit more about the, the galaxy as it stands now um, in the conversation between Captain Phasma and Hux when they're questioning Finn's refusal to uh, participate in, in um, the destruction of the village on Jakku, which I thought was really interesting because we're getting these slow kind of reveals about Finn. And I think it's fun too that at this point in the movie, you didn't really know who was going to be the, uh, who was going to be the one to wield the lightsaber, you know, who was going to be the one to receive the, the Jedi training, which I thought was really cool uh, because the way that the film was marketed initially, it seemed like that would be Finn. And I thought that that was going to be how the story played out. Um, especially when he received the lightsaber on Takodana, I thought that's what was going to happen. Um, and, and let me point out very quickly that one of the things about The Force Awakens that I know people had some gripes with is how Finn was able to use a lightsaber or 
how Rey was able to fly the Falcon since she's been trapped on Jakku or whatever. Uh, one of the things about Star Wars, or one of the things that's always existed in Star Wars is the supplemental material, whether that be in comic books, uh, novelizations, or some of the really cool DK guides, the visual encyclopedias. Uh, and it, it turns out that Finn was damn near a weapons master when he was with the First Order. He was one of the most skilled martial combatants uh, or fighters that uh, that they had, or at least, you know, in, in his uh, group or platoon or whatever you want to call it, garrison, I don't know. Um, yeah, fucking, so he was a supreme badass with all kinds of different weapons and uh you know the lightsaber was just a, a an extension of a weapon that he was already extremely proficient with so um and then of course you have ray who because she had nothing else to do growing up on jakku she had tons of flight sims that she would use and this i think was in um before the awakening i think it was a uh, it was a series of short stories or novellas by Greg Rucka, I think. Um, and it's really cool. If you ever get the opportunity to read it, I definitely suggest that you do so. But, uh, but yeah, so these things were established and, you know, it is canon. And anyone that says that, you know, Ray is a Mary Sue or, you know, she has all of these abilities that just don't make any sense, I get fucked. Um, I'm, I'm tired of it. I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Um, but yeah, so it was really cool to see how the aspect of the First Order's recruitment went down and that you saw that Finn had actually been part of the First Order since he was a child and had been trained as a stormtrooper since he was a child. And uh, it was suggested that he be reconditioned, which... <laughs> I, uh, I find very fascinating because I, I am not familiar with any information outside of the film what that reconditioning entails, um, but it does imply that there is a lot that happens to these kids when they're growing up and being trained that um, is possibly against their will and, and is akin to brainwashing, and I find that to be very disturbing. So um, the character of Finn having grown up in that environment and, and being a stormtrooper, but also being possessed of this uh, unique morality, or at least unique in terms of the First Order, I find that very cool. And the fact that he was able to jump on the opportunity to rescue Poe uh, it was also a rescue for himself, and I find that to be very entertaining, but also compelling character-wise. So Finn is a really cool character, and um, I really appreciated his part of the film where, you know, he gets to interact with Poe. He gets to interact with Ray, and some of my favorite interactions are between Finn and BB-8. Enjoy it, please! <laughs> I love it. I love BB-8's sort of uh, the way that he plays off of, of Finn's just desperation. Uh, the guy is just utterly desperate to distance himself from the First Order, but also to impress Ray, which I think is just the cutest thing ever. Um, 
so yeah, I, I really appreciate the characters of uh, of Finn and Ray. Um, of course, we have to talk about Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. Um, easily the most complex character over the course of the sequel trilogy's narrative, and and we definitely get a taste of it in The Force Awakens. He he is defined by his garb, his mask, um, his relationship to the new characters uh, and the way that he sort of latches on to Ray later on. Uh, he's defined by his relationship with General Hux and Supreme Leader Snoke, at least to a degree in this film, and also by his possession of a very interesting and unique item, that being the the burned and, and damaged helmet of Darth Vader. So I would really like to know personally how he got that. In terms of the film, it doesn't really matter. Um, but, you know, with, with this particular character, you definitely get a sense of a young man or even a boy playing at being someone who is who wants to be taken seriously, who wants to be respected and perhaps even wants to be feared more than respected but doesn't know how to to demand that of his own volition so he uses these things to uh to create fear in people um he clearly has no control over his emotions uh is is subject to tantrums and fits <laughs> on a whim as his uh as his inferiors you know uh see quite often so you know he he's he's compelling in that way you feel bad for him but at the same time especially after the events on the catwalk in starkiller base it it's it's difficult to feel bad for him after that because spoiler alert killing your father is uh generally frowned upon um and in this particular case it's Han Solo and the way that that transpired, the way that that went down was utterly heart-wrenching to me um, because number one, it's Han Solo and I did not expect that. I should have seen that coming, especially uh, considering how Harrison Ford has uh, talked about his character in the past and, and some of the plans that he had for that character. Uh, in the past that did not come to fruition. I suppose I should have seen it coming. Um, I definitely knew what the score was. As soon as he set foot on that catwalk, I knew he wasn't walking off of it. And I spent the majority of that scene hoping and praying that it wasn't going to turn out that way. But of course it did. And of course it worked very well for the story. And and again, it, you know, we're on a space station. Uh, we have the death of a major character. We have witnesses to that death who, uh, who had just forged a relationship with the character. And, uh, so, you know, there's your, your analog to a new hope. But if you didn't think of that right off the bat, it's probably because it's subtle and, and you do have to start thinking about it and you do have to start looking for those comparisons for them to be, uh, obvious or to jump out at you and I guess what I'm trying to say is for it to seem derivative uh, maybe I'm alone in that um, well I highly doubt that I'm alone uh, perhaps uh, 
then I am in the minority when it comes to feeling that way. But something tells me that that is not the case. So very powerful scene uh, of, of an extremely effective uh, punctuation in that character's development over the course of The Force Awakens. Of course, uh, Kylo Ren uh, being the character in question. So just, just all the way satisfying all the way uh you know sort of emotionally trying um but also tremendously rewarding uh, and just so many things that that i want a film to be um all said i i think that the force awakens is the perfect first installment to a, uh, a series or or a trilogy the um the legacy characters that returned, uh, they returned in a fun and meaningful way, I think. And, and our new characters were charismatic and interesting. So I, I think there was enough Star Wars flavor to preserve a feeling of natural continuity from the original trilogy. And, and to echo Rob's sentiment from, from earlier, it had a, a sense of poetry to it. And it, uh, you know, it offered a familiar refrain, but incorporated new and original verses if that if that works um again the death of han solo was it, it was profound and, and impactful um and it was not so gentle way to sever a tie to to episodes four five and six and uh it, and again it created an incredible emotional scene between between new and old characters so the movie stands the test of time for me, and it's easily my favorite of the new films. Now, whether or not the story established here is carried forward smartly and and well, we will certainly discuss that in a future Star Wars-centric episode. Uh, I will, in that one, be joined by the irreplaceable William Marcotte, for uh, our discussion of The Last Jedi, and that one will be coming up very soon. In the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed this little bit of Star Wars chat. I regret that I had to go it alone for this episode, but hopefully you enjoyed it all the same. Well then, that's it. That's The Force Awakens done and dusted. It has been a while since I've gone at it alone, and uh, I may be a little rusty, but that was a sincere effort. As mentioned previously, this episode is a month behind, so we should catch up at the end of April with another brand new show. After that, we should be caught up and ready to rock the rest of this year on out. Coming up, we will be talking about The Last Jedi, of course, but first... Shira and the Princesses of Power. Oh yeah, bitch. <laughs>